Welcome, puppies. Yes! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. So then I said, well then why don't you just do that with the dog then? So, yeah. Oh, hi, hi. Um, I guess this is um, Pie Factory Podcast episode number 17. Um, over here in Pie Factory headquarters north in Chicago. Um, um, I forgot to pick a nickname this week, so I guess I'm just plain old boring Sean. And from the Pie Factory Logistics Center on the southwest sort of kind of distant side of the Chicago metro area this is jimmy g hello jimmy g well hello shawnee c or plain old boring sean pobs plain old boring sean how art thou i'm kind of tired actually and i'm sure you are too yes i'm tired but hey this coming sunday of course it's the sunday after you're gonna all be hearing this is uh we get to turn our clocks back fall ahead or fall back spring Yay. ahead. yeah fall, fall back in the spring a- spring ahead in the fall i don't know I remember one time on Comedy Central, they had uh, Penn Jillette on there. that fall ahead and spring back. <laughs> and by the way, it, what we are leaving is called Daylight Saving Time, not Daylight Savings Time. Well, I'm sure some banks are using that to promote their financial yeah. products. Oh, oh, and, and kind of personal news here. Um, when Hyde and I met, when he uh, gave me the, uh, the finished podcast for last episode, he gave me an old NES that he used to have. Oh, really? Yeah, he did. And uh, so I was kind of excited about that. The only thing is he couldn't find the controllers. Uh And I powered the thing up, and I get the flashing light thing, which apparently is a sign that the uh, cartridge connector is bad or needs cleaning. So hopefully that's all it is. Yeah, the cartridge connector is a huge problem with those things. A lot of people, myself included, used to like blow on the, the, the cartridge to get it to work, and somehow it did, even though you're not supposed to, and spit kind of, like, deteriorates the contacts. But it's, I, I just, to this day, don't still wonder why Nintendo chose that for the way to insert the cartridge on the American version. I, I, actually, I don't wonder. I think they wanted to make it look more like a VCR and less like a video game. So I did naturally what anybody else would do in my situation, and I uh, ordered an EverDrive cart, which is one of those, uh, it's one of those like universal carts where you could stick an SD card in it and just Mm -hmm. play games off that, so you don't have to swap cartridges. So I'm kind of looking forward to getting this thing up and running. It was a nice console. I just wish they would have done, I don't know if you've looked on the bottom, but uh, there's an expansion port on the bottom of the NES. Yeah. And um, Nintendo never did anything with that. Really? Huh. And yeah, of course, I, I'm kind of excited about it now, but when it first came out, I was like, yeah, who cares? It's a fun console. Um, it's got some really great games. Um, obviously, uh, Duck Hunt and uh, Super Mario Brothers. Duck Hunt's a fun two-player game because the second player can take the controller and uh, guide the ducks. So that's always fun. Uh, Super Mario 3 is a must-get. And uh, a game that we really loved, we had it actually on the Wii console was uh, Wario's Woods, which is a really interesting puzzle game. So you might want to look at that one. I think that was the, actually the very last released game for the NES. Really? So you might want to try looking for that one. You can't really go wrong with any of the Konami titles. I was a huge fan of Gradius. I loved that. It's kind of a, it's not a sequel, but it's a spiritual successor to the arcade game Scramble. I mean, it's the same company and all that. Stern released Scramble in the U.S., but Konami created it, and so it's kind of uh, follows in its footsteps. 
Uh, that's a fun one. Um, pretty much everybody plays Contra. That's fairly hard unless you know the Konami code. The uh, <laughs> the funny thing in the Konami code, um, the sequel to Gradius, uh, what was it called? Life Force, I believe it was. It was either that one or Super C, which is Super Contra. One of them, if you put in the Konami code, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start. Uh, and one of those two, if you did the Konami code, it actually blew up your ship and ended your game. Interesting. That kind of reminds me of the old version of Leisure Suit Larry and the Land of the Lounge Lizards, uh-huh. which is one of those, you, you, you can use a joystick, but you also type in commands and stuff. Used to love that game. And just out of curiosity, I typed in, I just typed cheat. And then it said, okay, you win. And then the game exited. (laughs) Oh, I never tried that. That's awesome. (laughs) Of course, I was drinking, uh, taking a drink of water when you said that, and I'm glad that it didn't come out and cleanse my nostrils. That's like the best Easter egg I ever saw. And as long as we're talking about the NES, and uh, I briefly mentioned about the expansion console, they made some games uh, like Mock Rider and Excite Bike, and I believe Wrecking Crew. Wrecking Crew is kind of a fun one. I always had a soft spot for that one. They had um, construction kits in there where you could design your own courses, and they left the save routines in the game. They were going to release a floppy drive for the NES in the United States, apparently, but what happened, they kind of dropped that or whatever, so any courses that you saved or boards that you saved in those games well, they wouldn't save. <laughs> it wouldn't crash the system. Would the you know word save would blink, but then it would just do nothing other than take you back to the title screen. You have to look up the uh, the video game nerd episode. It might have been on James and Mike Mondays as well, where they're loading a game on a Famicom, which is the Japanese version of the NES. And oh, oh, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it says something like "jam the f-ing disc in box." And there was um. Oh, I can't remember the video game nerd episode. It was a Sega Dreamcast game that was narrated by Leonard Nimoy. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. It's something about a fish or whatever that you got to raise from whatever. And while they're waiting for stuff to happen, because that game happens in real time, James uh, goes and loads up this Famicom game where he sees insert f***ing disc into box. Wow, we're really going high on the uh, the swearing again, aren't we? It's an October thing. Yes, it's Oktoberfest on Pie Factory. Yeah, because we are we are recording this in October. I don't know when it's coming out though. So, um, yeah, and something I want to backtrack to, and I kind of forgot to mention this in the previous episode, but you know, I, I was talking about the Amigo version of Leisure Suit Larry. Yeah. Uh, I forgot to mention one of us was interviewed by John Boat of Car Schaller on uh, the Amigos podcast, and it is the person who is speaking right now, actually. Um, I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. Well, it was a very enjoyable conversation that uh, John and I had. What I love really about the Amigos podcast, what really struck me about it is Southern accents. I was like, well, because I'm not used to hearing that. I'm not used to hearing people with Southern accents talk about technology. It's like, whoa, this is really a universal thing. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of bummed that there's no Atari ST podcast that I've been able to find. Uh, at least that talks about the gaming. Of course, I haven't found anything, but I was only looking through Stitcher. And I've toyed with the idea of starting an Atari ST gaming podcast, because that's the computer I had. But, you know, I, I've got all sorts of stuff going on in my personal life, and then I got this podcast, and then we got people that are saying that, uh, you don't know what you're talking about, which, oh, by the way, that reminds oh. me of something. Heh, <laughs> Yeah, there's um there's there's something we need to address here. And uh 
uh, I don't know. We should we should create a new. It's, it's not really hate mail. It's no no criticisms, no. but uh, it's it's oh, it's definitely criticisms. Yeah, uh, I don't know how you pronounce this guy's name, but this is on the classicarcadegaming.com forums about uh, the Pie Factory podcast. We're gonna listen to this here. Listen to this. We're gonna read this here. Uh, and there's a a guy whose name is left parenthesis and right parenthesis, although it's act the actual parentheses, I guess. I how do you pronounce that? Anyway, I don't know. Paren, I guess. He says here, I've listened to quite a few episodes, and I question whether these guys are even drawing from their own arcade experiences. Um, yes, we are. Yes, we <laughs> okay. are. In the Phoenix episode, the one guy admits knowing the Atari 2600 game Phoenix and not realizing it was ever an arcade game. That was me. One guy says that he was only given a dollar a week for allowance bitted to spend on arcade gaming. So you know that his arcade gaming was limited bitted. In the Star Wars episode, they have no clue who Robert Mruzek is. They don't seem to know any of the gamers they mentioned when reporting high scores. Richie Knuckles comes to mind, which is kind of the same thing. They admit to sourcing Wikipedia articles for the source of Scouring. facts on a given game. Many of the games they discuss, they've only played it for the first time ever in MAME days before the podcast is recorded. On the positive side, it's an easy podcast to listen to. I just don't think these guys have enough experience in arcade gaming, but anyone with a microphone and software is free to do a podcast. Okay. Here's a few things. First of all, I'm going to always speak for myself, okay? As far as not knowing who Robert Mruzek is, Mru- I can't pronounce his name. Mruzek? Is that it? Mruzek? Everybody I've ever known with a CZ, it's basically a silent C. So I, I said Mruzek in the episode. Mruzek? Okay, I'll rep- pronounce it then too, that way too. So as far as not knowing who Robert Mruzek is or Richie Knuckles comes to mind, or not knowing who Richie Knuckles is, I don't. Um, I'm me Facebook personally, friends with Richie I Knuckles, by the way. I don't follow high scores i only know what i play and what i do i I don't follow the high scores i'm not competing against anybody i'm playing to have fun if i get a world record high score so be it i got the 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 day daily high score at uh, underground retrocade on the gyrus machine a while back you know i play you're still in the top 10 on that by the way they now list the top 10 scores I'm still on the list of top 10 scores? Yep. Yeah. Oh, sweet. In fact, last time I was there, I noticed that on all the games, they have um, listed the top 10 scores. Uh, there's a guy there who's uh, one, one of the regulars over there and at Galloping Ghost. His name is Mozzie's. Uh-huh. And he actually pulls the scores from arcade.com. I think he has a script or something that does it. And that's really cool because uh, I think I like how it gets competitive over there because, like, ooh, I can bump my. Like, I spent all day there just putting my name in the top 10 is as many games as I possibly could. Nice. So, like I said, I know I just play for fun. I don't play to go against anybody. I I, I play for fun, and I don't keep track of high scores. I, I, I really don't. I'm not. I play for me. I'm just going to leave it at that. Do you have anything to say about those? You probably know a little bit more about that than I do. About what that I do? About who uh, Robert Mruzek or Richie Knuckles All I was. know is that he was um, in, I think he was in uh, King of Kong. He was uh, uh, screening uh, video submissions for Twin Galaxies. Oh, I, that's right. You did I say that. I don't remember names of people who appear, okay? I don't. Um, I, you know, Billy Mitchell, of course, everybody knows because his name has been going around the video game industry for decades, literally he's a decades. He's I mean, a everybody will know Billy Mitchell. Everybody will know Steve um, Wiebe. Steve Wiebe. Everybody will know um, Nolan Bushnell. You know, I mean, we're there are names out there that everybody who's a gamer of any sort of you know whatever will know. 
I'm not a hardcore gamer. I never have been, never claimed to be one. I'm just a gamer. I just like to play the games and boom. That's not to say that video games aren't an important part of your life. They're, they were part of our growing up, and I have never grown up, so I'm still playing these same games. Well, and that's uh, going back to something you're saying here. In the Phoenix episode, the one guy admits to knowing the Atari 2600 game Phoenix and not realizing it was ever an arcade game, and stating that he was only given a dollar a week for allowance back in the day to spend on arcade gaming. Okay, so you know his arcade gaming was limited, and that's fine. That's... That's true. I mean, yeah, I was a little not, kid. I mean, you know, you, what you, was I supposed to do? How how old are you? I'm 47. How old I are just you? turned 41 a couple weeks ago. So you were a younger kid than I was. I was in high school and during the heyday of uh, the video games. In fact, I was just getting out of uh, high school. I graduated in 86 and you were still in grade school. Yeah. Where would you have been? I was. Yeah, I wasn't in high school till 88. So, yeah, you would have been in grade school when I started high school. So, yeah, I mean, your experience is limited. However, that having been said, you go to the arcade all the time now. <laughs> you know, Seemingly you're making up for lost time. Yeah. Uh, when I was in high school, I made stupid decisions with my money, like dipping into my uh, savings account to go to the arcade to play video games. Uh, would always walk all the way over to the Louis Joliet Mall to play whatever they had there. I played many games, many around of Smash TV, Terminator 2, Pinball, Firefox when they had it. It wasn't there a real long time. Um, Battlezone they had, uh, Robotron, of course. They had Astron Belt and iRobot. I loved iRobot. We need to talk about that game sometime. That's just a great, great, great game. So, yeah, your experience is limited. But, but then again... You were younger than me, so that's to be expected, but you're making up for lost time now. So I guess that because 30-some years ago, when I could only play four games during one arcade visit every month, I guess that disqualifies me from being able to talk about it now. I don't know. I mean, I made it no secret that my gaming was limited. Well, yeah, I mean, you make no you make no bones about it. I mean, you're, yeah. you're right up front there. And, and, I, and, and it's exactly, and in fact, even my wife said, well, hey, now that you're, you're an adult now, you can make up for all that lost time. Bingo. Last time I was at Underground Retrocade, I was there from probably about noon till about 9, 9 at night, 9.30. Damn. If I was gone for an hour, my wife would have words with me. When we were galloping ghosts, you know, we I got there around 5, 5.30. You got there shortly after I did. I didn't leave till close to 2. Wow, we had to leave early because I got kids, so yeah. I can't spend as much time, and I don't have the money to really go do that. Plus, the closest arcades to me, they are a haul. I mean, we have, oh, yeah. I think there's one place in my town that has a video game. Uh, it's a place called Turtles Tap, and the machine they have, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And that's all I have within five miles of me. The next mm. nearest arcade, next place with video games... It's probably about 40 miles from me. So I do a lot of main play, and I do try to get out to the mm -hmm. arcade when I can, but funds are limited. I've got kids that are doing stuff all the time, and the next thing I'm spending money on my kids on, me and my youngest daughter are going to go see Spectre next week, the James Bond film. There you go. Huge James, as big a James Bond fan as I am. So that's the same weekend that uh, the, new, the Peanuts movie opens. I'm going to wait and hear reviews of that one. And I also want to address the first bullet point, and I guess this guy's name is Rob, judging by the uh, the response to it. So he says, in the Phoenix episode, the one guy, <laughs> that's me, admits knowing the 2600 game Phoenix and not realizing it was, an ever, it was ever an arcade game. 
I'm what how do I address that? I mean, part of this show is that we learn new stuff. We're learning mm-hmm. stuff. I'm sure that most of our listeners know a hell of a lot more than we do. I, I'm really sure about that. But one of the reasons they listen to us is because they want to hear the back and forth. They want to hear people talk about their memories. They want to hear the you know, you and I have known each other since July twenty fifth, nineteen ninety two. I still can't believe you know the exact date. There's that chemistry between us that people like hearing. Just like with any other group of friends, you know? Indeed. And not realizing it was ever an arcade game. Um, you know how many of that, how many games on the Atari is tr- that's true for? I didn't know Outlaw was an arcade game. I didn't know Combat was. I didn't know Air Sea Battle was. I didn't know Yar's Revenge was kind of almost was. Kaboom is based on the old Ar- Atari arcade game Avalanche. Yeah, I didn't know Circus Atari was, uh, well, it wasn't called Circus Atari in the arcade, but you know. Actually, I don't think it was an Atari game now that I think about it. I think it was was Atari blatantly ripped off Exidy. Exidy had an arcade game called Circus, which is the same thing. They have that over at uh, Galloping Ghost. It's an annoying game, but it's addicting at the same time. (laughs) I'll have to go play that because Circus Atari is one of my favorite 2600 games. That's a great game. But I never mentioned it in the last episode. But again, I mean, there's going to be learning. For one thing, I don't know about you, but... I do not consider myself a video game expert. I just love playing video games, and I like talking about it. I like learning about it. Yeah, you know, and I see the show as not geared toward the the hardcore gamer. Right. And in fact, we are also on a, a network. We haven't mentioned this in a while. We're on uh, the Dewey'sville network. We get played at noon every Sunday. I believe it is. I have to. Yeah, I'm going to get criticized for that. Um, I believe it's Sunday. I can't remember off the top of my head and um so a lot of the people on there don't know a lot of the games that we're talking about or a lot of the stuff that we're talking about we'd like to introduce them to this and and this is just our way of doing it brings up uh this next point admit to sourcing wikipedia admit to scouring wikipedia articles for their source of facts on a given game i i'll tell you this i put as much trust in wikipedia as i put in walmart which isn't much. Well, I'm the one that pretty much that scours Wikipedia for stuff because sometimes there's stuff in a game that I I'm an average gamer. There's some games that I just don't get very far in, and I don't feel like spending you know a ton of, or feel like spending a ton of time and energy on something that I'm really just probably not having fun at just to see something later on in the game. And when I play a game, I'm not always taking notes. I did this time. Okay, I did this time. I did take notes. I did notes, this time, too. And I actually had to uh, fill in gaps in my knowledge using the main dat, uh, history dat file. But you, sometimes you got to go other sources. Um, I can't I just think of anything off the top of my head right now. But I know there's for certain there are games out there where there's stuff in later levels that I never get to that I'll never see things. You know, never see. Yeah. And it's, but I mean, I mean, I admit... That is a valid point, though. I mean, yeah, Wikipedia, I mean, come on. Oh, man, I'm going to see if I can find the post on Atari Age, but some years ago, like four or five years ago, I was scouring Wikipedia, (laughs) and for some reason, I looked up the Donkey Kong entry, and somebody had vandalized it, and they said that the game was uh, symbolic of uh, the anti-Muslim fight or something like that. So I usually stuff that. like that on Wikipedia gets taken out pretty quick. Oh, yeah. They do have a pretty fairly extensive uh, editor board where a lot of the stuff yeah. has to go through, and then they can also lock certain topics. That's why I actually 
do trust Wikipedia. Plus, I mean, they've got most of the article, almost all the articles have the uh, the external the sources. sources, the stuff yeah. that they're based on. So, I mean, you can always look the stuff up yourself if the links work, which is. But I mean, but yeah, I think Wikipedia's a valid point, though. Failing, I mean, you know, just get, getting the sources from Wikipedia, you know, that that's kind of cheaping out, you know. But the fact is, you know, we both have lives, we both have jobs. I have two jobs actually. And I do the podcast. Now I need and I a second job. Stuff. We don't make any money off of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I'm not yeah. complaining because I like doing it. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. And after what we've been saying now, we're probably going to make even less money off of it. But <laughs> wait, you, you who know, do we owe money to now. We're we going to get sued. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. We just don't have enough time to like do deep, deep, deep research. I mean, you know, we plan these shows. Uh, we have we have the rest of the year planned out, frankly, but. Um, you know, sometimes we only have those two weeks to plan out, but uh, which brings me to this. Many of the games they discuss, they've only played it for the first time ever in MAME days before the podcast is recorded. Okay. Uh, is that a, ba- that, is that a bad thing? That, I think, is, that is a legitimate complaint, I think. Why? Uh, Why? Well, because sometimes that's, sometimes it's true. I mean, we do. We should, we should probably play a few of the games a long time before we do the show. But that having been said, most of the games that we've talked about are games I've played before well in my past. I just need a refresher. Uh, but yeah. as we just discussed, too, I mean, right now my wife is with my daughter. Uh, my daughter's at school uh, trying bucking for first chair and flute. She was on clarinet last year. I'm, and this is something else, too, about the Wikipedia thing. My mind is like a steel trap. What goes in comes out all mangled. So I need something to refresh my memory on some stuff, too. But we we have busy lives. You know, we have family. Well, I, I have family. You've got a wife. You've got several jobs. I've got a wife and three kids. And... When I get home from work, sometimes the last thing I feel like doing is is hooking up the hooking up a video game. Sometimes I just like to just lay back and nap for a while before eating dinner, then going to bed. <laughs> uh, that's why I, I don't honestly haven't hooked my Atari uh, seventy eight hundred up in quite some time. It's been months. Yeah, and the uh, fact is, like the beginning of the year, really, we're gonna come up with games that we've never played. So, you know, what are we supposed to do? Like Tinkle Pit, yeah, which we've never. I mean, that that episode, I admit, was kind of sparse because we never played that game. But um, I thought it was a it was a revelation. It was quite fascinating to have played that game because uh, it's a game that not many people are gonna ever play. Once again, it's just a matter of finding time. So, uh, I think we've pretty much addressed all this, but. He says here at the end, on the positive side, it's an easy podcast to listen to. I just don't think these guys have enough experience in arcade gaming. And at the very beginning of his criticism, I question whether these guys are even drawing from their own arcade experiences. I actually find I find that kind of offensive, actually. I have a confession. Yeah. Everything I ever said about the memories of playing these games was a big, fat lie. I lied about playing Pac-Man at the Holiday Inn in Bradley. I lied about Hunk's Pancake House. I never played these games, ever. What's a video game? Um, I think it's one of those things where you, you, you like, um, um, I don't know. Oh, it's one of those things that you get at, um, at Cracker Barrel. It's like a little triangle board with the pegs, and you got to jump right, on it. Is that what it is? Right, right. That's a video game. I've never so, been able so to. So yeah, win all that these all game. these memories that I that I thought that that I came that that I've been sharing about these videos. I made them all up. Did you make yours up too? Oh, of course. Yeah, make them all up. All right. So you know, do we sound it? Yeah, we probably sound angry. But I'm going to tell you the truth. I actually enjoyed reading this. I really did because, well, obviously, it shows that somebody's listening. Yeah. But also, <laughs> you know, it, it is good to see like what people are kind of expecting here. Um, again, True. we are not. 
we're not experts of video games. We're just fans of video games, you know? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. You know, we're listening. You're listening to two fans talk about their memories and talk about, you know, what they what they enjoy. You know, we have other hobbies, too. You know, like Jim and I both spend a lot of time riding bikes, you know, and um, not not together, though, because quite frankly, I can't get up as early in the morning as you do. But <laughs> I don't want to get up as early in the morning you as know? I do. Yeah. And I'm going to be quite honest. For the past few years, I did see myself doing a podcast, but this is not the podcast I thought I'd be doing. Here's something interesting here. And I just noticed this um, in the next post down on ClassicArcadeGaming.com. The Mark Alpiger, Alpiger, I'm bad with names, so please forgive me. And he was agreeing with uh, with the previous person's things here. He said, I noticed the cast <laughs> uh, on Crystal seemed a bit canned. And um, this guy, I didn't know, is uh, the ex-Arcade World Record holder for Crystal Castles. He's now number two on the list, 898,815. He finished... He actually completed the game on July July second, nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, I remember uh, mentioning him on the show before. Really? Yeah. I I don't remember waking up this morning. <laughs> but I mean, but again, I mean, I do appreciate the comments. I I honestly do, and I thank I, you know I thank um, open close parens uh, Rob or whatever your name is. Thanks for your feedback on there. I guess you know what some people expect and what other people expect two different things, and it is. You know, it is refreshing to hear, you know, alternative views. I mean, yeah, we hear the usually, yeah, keep up the great work, guys. And we appreciate that. But we also appreciate you know what? the That's other true. as well. That's true. I mean, you get, we get a lot of that. We don't really get much in the way of criticisms. And like I said, for the most part, our show is mostly for, if we're, we're not for the the hardcore gamer, the guy, the guy out there that's, you know, rolling Robotron over time and time again. Now I'm going to get some hate mail saying, you can't roll Robotron over or some stuff like that. But <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a very, very cliched thing you hear on radio all the time. Now I'm going to get hate mail about Topic X or whatever. Yep. But um, but we're just casual gamers. We go in there. If I get a high score, hey, you know, I got 91,000 whatever on, uh, on Gyrus at Underground Retrocade. You know what? It's nice to have the high score, but I don't go looking for it. I go looking to have fun. And if it, and if when I go to the arcade and have fun, it, it results in a high score. Hey, all the more fun. This is why I don't go to the I go to casinos much anymore, if ever, because I don't have fun there anymore. <laughs> so yeah, so we spent like the first half hour of this episode talking about that thread. <laughs> but yeah, but no, in, all, in all seriousness, yeah, I do appreciate their comments there. So let, why don't we just continue on? Let's uh, put that behind us for now because, you know, hey, we have a show to do. So um, something I wanted to bring up, something that you, Jimmy G, had mentioned before that we might want to do for uh, for probably our last show this year is uh, encourage some listener contributions. Oh, excuse me. The low oil light just went on. Um, I don't remember. <laughs> I mentioned something now that I think, but I can't I can't remember. And in all seriousness, uh, when we did the uh, the mental health episode, I don't remember if I brought it up, but uh, part of my issues is I just really do have a horrible, horrible memory. Wow, I don't remember. Uh, you know what? Why don't, uh, why don't you guys uh, send us your... Uh, why don't, uh, if you want, you can send us your memories of the first time, first video game you ever played in the arcade. How about that? Yeah, if you, you can. That. If you want to do an audio contribution, you're certainly welcome to. You can email it to us at that address. You can send it to us over Facebook. So, or um, we accept entries by telekinesis as well. So just beam them right into our thick skulls and we'll read them. 
There you go. All right, so having said all that, going back to what you said earlier about our Tinkle Pit slash Mr. Do episode being a little bit sparse, I noticed that myself, and we we really did have an off night when we recorded. It was kind of weird. I was... I was I, I I was coming down with some nasty bug or something, and both of us were kind of like ha- had to take coughing breaks. Um, we also had to take breaks to giggle because we're so mature. I kind of wanted to leave more of the giggles in, but um, Hyde being oh. the perfectionist he is, yeah, he ruins the show sometimes. I think I, I did ask him to like go a little bit easier on it, but uh, so having said all that, uh, we we have some things to addend. We have some uh, uh, corrections to make. So uh, let's move on to addenda and errata. All right. One thing I, I want to mention is uh, something that we talked about, or at least I talked about. I don't remember if you were kind of sharing my sentiments so much, but a lot of people, when they talk about Mr. Do, they make the obvious dig dug connection. Some people are so offended by it. I'm not going to name names that uh, it seems to be such a ripoff of dig dug. And Chris Plus Plus on Atari Age, a good friend of the podcast, he basically said, are you sure Dig Dug came first? So we did a little bit of research. The release date of Dig Dug was April 19th, 1982. Mr. Do, um, I wasn't able to pin down an exact release date for Mr. Do, but Mr. Do was released in October of 82. There's your answer, Fishbulb. Do with that info what thou wilt. And something else, I don't think we mentioned this. By the way, partly because of the last episode, I'm now officially addicted to Mr. Do. You're now officially addicted. I am officially addicted to Mr. Do. Like, almost every night. I've, that's a game that's easy yeah. to get addicted to. Yeah, yeah. at least in MAME so far, I've, I've uh, hit six digits a couple of times. I hope I can oh, translate wow. that next time I go to an arcade. But... <laughs> Something that I learned, and we didn't, I don't think we mentioned. Well, actually, I kind of always knew this. I just forgot to mention. When you collect the bonus prize and the Guardians come out with the, uh, I don't know, is it the letter monster or something? Hey, there's my Wikipedia. I think they call it the again. Alpha Monster. The Alpha Monster. Uh, we mentioned that uh, if you drop an apple on one of those um, Guardians, that they eat the apple. Well, actually, you can destroy the Guardians with apples if you time it just right. Like, if they just suddenly turn the corner and don't see the apple. It's very difficult to do, but it is possible. There you go. And what happens if you destroy the Guardian, whether it be with an apple or if you shoot the Guardian, the Guardian turns into an apple, and if there's a Guardian behind it or the Alpha Monster then that character is going to eat said apple. Ah. And something else that I didn't really think about before is that, just like in Dig Dug, there are times when the enemies can actually go through. the. They can go through the dirt. They actually yeah. dig through, and they can actually destroy or consume the apples, which could be a real pain. You, you, like you might find the level ending all of a sudden because one of the enemies destroyed an apple. Can they eat the cherries? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think if anything but you goes over the cherries or whatever is in the middle of the screen, nothing happens. It's only when you actually... I'll have to go back and check that out, which means I probably won't do it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, now that's, that's a legitimate complaint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and another addendum for Mr. Do is uh, something I noticed. I don't remember if we mentioned this, but it, let's say that you... 
are finishing spelling out extra. Like you fire at the alpha monster that has the missing letter. If you get killed and then the alpha monster gets gets destroyed and you get the letter and you spell out extra, you don't actually lose that life. Oh, really? That is so helpful. Thinking about it, if I'm not mistaken, if you got all, you know, whatever letters to spell extra and one that you've already got comes out into the maze, the alpha monster with that letter comes into the maze. Which, by the way, that alpha monster can come into the maze by itself without the guardians yes. at some points. I want to think that if he comes out and you get killed and you're not close to spelling extra, that you actually lose that letter up top. Really? I think so. I could be wow. wrong on it. Uh, if somebody could help me, help me out with that, clue me in on that, uh, let me know. I want to think I've seen that happen before. And the last thing I have to add about Mr. Do... Like we had mentioned the uh, the diamond, and uh, you had said, uh, you know, we don't know how to reproduce the diamond effect. I, of course, after we already recorded the show, I did some research and I found um, a, a website by a guy named Don Hodges who looked at the source code so he could figure out what, ha- like, how to trigger the diamond falling. And it's really interesting. I'll, tr- I'll try to put a link to this in the show notes. In fact, as we're recording this right now, I notice that there are no show notes for episode 16 yet, but uh, I'll have to remedy that. But he gives this really weird explanation. Like you, like when you turn on the machine, you have to let the demo play over something like 12 times and then start the game. Um, I found that to not necessarily be true. There are times when I fired up MAME and as soon as the, uh, uh, as soon as it finishes booting, I start the game. I can still get the diamond, like after a couple, after just a couple dropping a couple of rocks. So, huh? I mean, Don Hodge's way might work for for sure, but that's not the only way. But Fascinating. It's a, it's a really complicated thing. Uh, do you have any addenda errata for Mister Do, Jimmy G? No, I do not. Um, Good because I have um, one thing I wanted to mention about Tinkle Pit. And I totally forgot to mention this. I mentioned before how I did play the entire game all the way through. I saw the ending, but I forgot about this. When you finish the game, like one of the last frames in the sequence, the sequence has all kinds of Japanese captions that I had a, well, almost impossible time trying to use Google Translate to to translate them because it came out really bizarre. But there's one frame that is 100% in English that tells you, hey, try playing this game again, but try completing it on just one credit. So I'm wondering if that means that there's an alternate ending if you actually finish the game without using a continue. Kind of supports my hypothesis that it's a game that you can get better at and not necessarily have to continue. Yeah. Uh, I do believe we got some email from uh, the guys over at uh, Ten Pence Arcade. Hi, fellas. Episode 16 was awesome, as always. Take that, left paren, right paren. <laughs> In it, you mentioned a game you discovered which contained a guy farting. We may have that covered. And indeed, uh, Ten Pence Arcade did an episode of this, which I still got to add him to my podcast feed. Uh, episode 47 of Ten Pence Arcade talked about the game called Uncle Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the game I was trying to remember. I play. I remember. I I was looking up for weird stuff to play in Mame just to find weird things. I saw Uncle Pooh. Of course, I had to play it. And my response was, "Yes, that was the game." I remember. I was scrolling through, scrolling through Mame and looking to play random shit. Pun intended. More than you will ever know. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw that, and of course, the eight-year-old in me had to try it out. So. 
There you go. There you go. And, and I, I'd like to uh, read a cut, read a little bit of feedback we got on our blog, actually. <laughs> what, and the thing about our blog is, um, I'll I don't be honest with everybody. It. The blog is only there to power the RSS feed that makes our podcasts update as they should update. So we, we, it's only set up to the bare minimum. So, uh, it's, so we don't always check it just so as you know, but, uh, I think this gentleman's name is pronounced Andrew Hane or maybe Hane. I don't know. Um, hi guys. Love the show. Started listening to it when no quarter mentioned you. I know you all wish that show would come back, but as far as I'm concerned, your show is the new No Quarter. Keep it up, Andrew. Well, that was nice. Yeah, that was, that was nice. Uh, the only thing is we don't really get as technical as No Quarter does. Like, we don't talk about the Z80 or Z80 processor or whatever. I'm going to make an exception tonight, by the way. Spoiler alert! Uh-oh. That was, uh, he sent that to us, um, I don't know what time zone this was, but it was October 21st at 5.04 a.m., he sent another uh, feedback on our blog at 5.35 a.m. the same day. Aha! 15 minutes after sending my last comment about No Quarter, I hear in your podcast, they are back. What's the chances? Anyway, we subscribed. Great. Yeah, I resubscribed, go. I got to re- resubscribe to uh, No Quarter. I, I pulled them out of my feed when they were gone. I got to put them back in. I got Right now, I'll tell you what, I've been wanting to shout out this podcast for a while, but podcast I've been listening to has nothing to do with video games that I just love entirely is James Bond Radio. And uh, they just actually, not this current episode, but the episode before they had, they talked to uh, the guy who played one of the henchmen in Diamonds Are Forever, Mr. Wint. Uh, I can't rem- I don't remember the actor's first name, but his last name was Glover. And yes, he is Crispin Glover's father. So uh, that was quite an interesting uh, episode. He came all the way to the United States to record this interview with Crispin Glover's dad. Interesting that corresponded with what everybody was calling Back to the Future Day, you know? That's true, isn't it? Yeah. I hadn't even think about that. Which, uh, as a Cubs fan, I am deeply saddened. But, hey, you know, the Cubs didn't win the World Series that day either. So I guess we're... And they uh, weren't playing against a Florida team. And it wasn't the third year in a row. So. And, really, and I got to say, you know, I live on the north side of Chicago. The vibe on the north side is nothing but happy up here. Everybody's very proud of the Cubs. That's true. Yeah, there was someone who wrote into the Tribune and said, those four losses did not wipe the smile off my face after the great season they just had. True. So Things can only get better. Anyway, um, so. that's what we had to say about all that. As far as I know, we didn't make any other mistakes. <laughs> And suddenly we're going to get flooded with emails and uh, Facebook comments and stuff. Oh, you think you didn't make any other mistakes, huh? Well, guess Maybe what? Maybe we should purposely put a mistake in the in uh, in the podcast at some point to see who catches ah, it. There you go. So I'm going to purposely put a mistake in the uh, in the podcast tonight. And one more thing I'd like to addend. Uh, last episode, I, I took some time to... Um, oh, what's the uh, word I'm looking for? To castigate uh, headquarters beercade in Chicago. Now, I've had a couple of weeks to think about it. You know, my big complaint about headquarters beercade was that it seemed to me at least, I mean, I don't know how true this is, that most of their video games were basically MAME cabinets in disguise. And I was thinking about that, and I'm thinking, why on earth? They obviously have the real cabinets, so why on earth would they put in a main box underneath, and it just occurred to me. 
mentioned before in this podcast in an earlier episode that at an arcade um, expo, Galloping Ghost almost lost one of their rare machines when somebody spilled a beer on it and it shorted out the motherboard. Ah. Uh. I hadn't even thought about that. That's so a good point. So what might be happening is that headquarters might actually have the real motherboards stashed away somewhere. And so just as a safety precaution, they're using MAME or some other kind of emulation or something. You know what? That's not a bad idea. That's, uh, that's, that's an interesting thought. That could very well be it. If that's what they're doing, then I actually apologize and I applaud headquarters Beercade for that, especially because, you know, someone was I was talking to said, you know what, if they really are basically hollowing out these cabinets and replacing them with MAME, that's technically illegal. And they're kind of that's right, because technically you're not allowed to emulate the video games unless you actually own them. Mm -hmm. That is correct. So my thinking is maybe what they're doing at headquarters. In fact, I should just reach out to them. I, I should just reach out to headquarters and ask for sure. But what they might be doing is exactly that. They might be emulating them, but they might also have the real ones on premise somewhere just That's stashed true. away nice and safe. That's and in true. fact, uh, another friend of mine worked at headquarters when they first opened. And he told me that as far as he could tell, they were all the real games. But that was like two or three years ago. Um, if this is actually the reason they actually have the, 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 the real games, uh, then uh, we do apologize. Yeah, absolutely. And, and especially because when we first started this podcast, I sent an email over to a couple of barcade owners, including the, the folks over at headquarters. And I said, hey, if you guys have any announcements you want us to make, you know, let us know. And I got a, a response back saying, oh, that sounds cool. Thanks a lot. By the way, stop on in, you know, drinks on me. And I didn't take him up on that because when I went in, I actually paid for my beer. So, uh, but oh well. Yeah, I think we should uh, reach out to him on that and see what see what's up. Yeah, we're not total jerks over here; just partial. Should we close out Adenda and Arata? I think we should close the door on Adenda and Arata. Yes. Okay, so uh, let's talk about uh, why don't we talk about a arcade game? Why don't we do that? Let's talk about the game. Revolution X, starring the band The Pet Shop Boys. Ah, first mistake. See what I did there? Ah. Okay. <laughs> that would be kind of bizarre, uh, a Pet Shop Boys arcade game. I don't even know how you would do that. I Very carefully. I don't want to know. Although I'd be more scared at a Frankie Goes to Hollywood arcade game. Or a snow arcade game. Anyway, so yeah, uh, Revolution X. Uh, it's a three-player at the same time shooter in the same vein as Terminator 2, which is a game which we've already covered here. Um, difference is that was based on a movie. This is based on a band, which is kind of weird because games based on musicians don't really have a story because unlike some groups, surprisingly uh, insane clown posse, uh, most bands don't actually have a backstory. Only other band I think of that has a backstory would might be Guar, but as far as you know, having like a fictional thing, Kiss I think does too. Though I think they had Psycho Circus or something like that. But uh, so yeah, uh, it's in the same vein as Terminator Two: Judgment Day, uh, where you've got the gun and the country has been taken over by an organization called the New Order Nation. Music is the weapon, as Steven Tyler says in the game, and they have uh, the voices from all of the uh, members of Aerosmith, and they all make cameos in it, and uh, they've got quite a bit of music from Aerosmith's catalog in the game, but uh, you're going through several different levels. Uh, the first one is a club. Uh, you got to get through it. 
And then you, at the end of it, Steven Tyler, through a video recording, tosses you the keys, which that's kind of Videodrome territory there, having somebody come through a TV screen to give you something. If you ever have never seen Videodrome, that's one of my favorite mind-altering movies. That's just a great film. You get to see Debbie Harry topless in that movie. <laughs> I never thought I'd mention Videodrome. But, um... And then the second level, you're in a helicopter or whatever. You've commandeered a New Order Nation helicopter to try to get to Aerosmith's car. And then, unlike Terminator 2, you get to choose which level you want to go to. There's three of them. There's, um, let me think, the Amazon, uh, the Pacific Rim, and the Middle East. And um, last time I played it, I didn't keep continuing, so I didn't get to all three of them. But I did get to play through the Middle East and uh, Pacific Rim. Hidden in the game are the members of Aerosmith. I have found, let me think, Joe Perry. Gosh, I can't remember. There's one in the first level. I can't remember who it was. And then there was, and Brad Whitford. I know I've gotten Joe Perry. Might be Tom Hamilton I've saved. And then there's uh, Brad Whitford. And, um, no, Tom Hamilton. He's in the um, he's in the, the Egypt one. And uh, there's different ways to save him. They're kind of hidden in the game. Uh, like the first level to save, I believe it was Joe Perry. I, I'm probably getting this wrong. <laughs> to save Joe... You know what? Hold on a second. It doesn't say it here. But uh, in the first level, I don't remember exactly which band member it was. To save him at the very beginning of the game. One thing I like about this game over Terminator 2, first of all, well, two things I like. First of all, after the first two levels, you get to choose where to go next. And then in several of the levels, instead of it just scrolling, slowly scrolling to the left like it does in Terminator 2, you actually have some control over which ways to go. Um, there'll be like a, I don't know, like a DVD or CD uh, interface on it, and you get to go left or right or in and out of uh, whatever the scene you're in. On the very first level, if you hit, say, left, there will come a scene when you're inside the club. It'll scroll to the right automatically. It still will scroll left or right automatically on some screens. And there will be a bathroom. If you selected left on the very first time you get to choose, you shoot the bathroom sign on the left, and then it'll take you and take you to find that uh, that member of Aerosmith. If you selected right on the very first one, you shoot the sign on the right. So that one's kind of uh, kind of easy to find. The one on Brad Whitford, which is in the Pacific Rim level, you have to find door seven. This is a, a maze. Uh, there's actually a map of the maze behind gate nine. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm leaving out some details on the game. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Find the map behind gate nine. You don't need to do it, but to know where you're going, it's kind of a good thing to do. Then you go to the right all the way to gate seven. There is a box at the very... Now, this is a warehouse, so there's crates everywhere. You shoot the crate at the very top right of Gate 7, there will be an arrow in there. You shoot that arrow, and then it'll take you all the way down uh, a corridor, which you've got to destroy forklifts, and you will save Brad Whitford. Um, oh, when you find the band member, you actually have to shoot the Aerosmith Wings logo to, uh, to have it register. And then at the end of each level, you get bonus points for however many Aerosmith Wings you have. The one I couldn't get, Tom Hamilton on the uh, Middle East stage, to get him, you have to shoot the nose of three Spinks as you drive by him. And I was able to do that. And then the, the third Spinks, once you hit the nose, and it <laughs> you blow the nose, <laughs> uh, the third Spinks... Uh, Mouth will open, and you shoot that CD, and then you're supposed to slow down. This scene is similar to the truck scene in the Terminator 2 game. Uh, it'll supposed to slow down where you can pick up the member 
you shoot the wings and it will continue. For some reason, that never worked for me, even though I was able to unlock it and I saw him blow by. So I have to play it again. And that's as far as I got in the game. Um, the mechanics, just like Terminator 2, you got a trigger on the gun and you got a launch button. Instead of rockets in this game, you launch CDs or laser discs. Uh, you have many different power-ups in the game. Oh, you still have that gun power meter, which drains the longer you shoot your gun, which... I, the jury's out on that. I mean, it makes the game harder, but I'm thinking, it, especially in this one, it makes it more... It makes it needlessly harder. I mean, then you could pick up CDs. And the th- one thing I did like is this game over Terminator 2, every time you shot a rocket, you got one rocket. And this one... You can shoot a CD, but they also have other value CDs that you can uh, pick up. Like, as I said, Terminator 2, you shoot one rocket, get one rocket. In this one, you shoot a CD, you get one CD, or there'll be one where you can get three CDs, and I think there's one where you can get five CDs. So you can, uh, you know, get more CDs faster. Oh, and a little hint on the screen where you can select which level to go to next. Choose Pacific Rim first, because pretty much every crate has CDs in it, and there's thousands, possibly thousands of crates in this level. So go to that screen and stock up. Little hint from me to you. Actually, I read that somewhere, but I did do it, and it's actually a good idea. I have played through this game on MAME using cheats a long time ago, and I did get to the end. But the one thing I hate about Williams games from this era, starting with, I would say, the game Smash TV and moving on to pretty much every game at that point that wasn't a Mortal Kombat clone, is the games throw so much at you that you absolutely have to continue. Now, I enjoyed Terminator 2, and I enjoyed Smash TV, but with this one, it gets freaking insane. And you get... And I don't like the mechanic of having to... For when you get the bosses, of having to shoot at it constantly and relentlessly for minutes on end. You can easily spend 5 to 10 minutes on a boss fight. I don't think I've gotten to 10 minutes, but, I mean, I have had boss fights that are just long and dragged out, and it doesn't help that in one of the scenes. Uh, I was talking about in the Middle East where there's a scene where um, it's similar to the truck screen in Terminator 2. The difference is in Terminator 2, you protect the truck. In this screen, you have to destroy the bus. You have to destroy it before it reaches its destination. And try as you might, you cannot destroy the turrets on the top of that bus until you've destroyed everything else. And it just takes a lot of firepower. And the thing that sucks most about that particular screen are the windows on the bus because you don't see it, but there's, it's hard to see, but there's like, um, uh, like grates or bars on the windows and they're kind of hard to see. You have to make sure you get all of that stuff shut off, shot off. This game is needlessly hard. Uh, it's, it's, this is the epitome of quarter sucker to me. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a huge Aerosmith fan. I like Aerosmith. I like some of their songs. And actually, I got a listing of songs that were in this one. Do tell. Uh, they're the songs Eat the Rich. I love that that song is in there. The one that I hate is Sweet Emotion is in that. And the reason I hate it is because between the levels, when it's tallying up your scores... They play an endless loop of the guitar riff on that screen. And I just get tired of that real fast, even though I like the song. Let me see. What else is in here? Toys in the Attic? Uh, Walk This Way is supposedly in it. I don't know if I've heard that one. And this one, I never caught this. I just was reading about this earlier. I'll have to go back and play it, even though I played the Pacific Rim level. 
there's a scene in the Pacific Rim level when you're on an elevator, ah, and it yep. plays a Muzak version of Love in an Elevator. That you gotta give this game props for. You gotta give that credit for that one. So that, that was that was pretty funny, and according to some stuff I'm reading, oh dear lord, I'm actually getting my facts somewhere else other than... Oh. But um, apparently... In the credits of this game, and I've it's been a long time since I've seen the end of this game. I might have actually just exited out of MAME when I was cheating to get to the end of it. Uh, but apparently there's a lot of Monty Python and the Holy Grail uh, in-jokes in the end credits. I'm just going to leave that there. I'm not going not going to go any further on that. But um, yeah, so you know, play through the game and look at the credits. Um, I'm not going to comment any further until I see them with my own eyes. So, what all more do you have to add about uh, Revolution X? Well, just to add to that, um, I remember hearing about this uh, BITF, but uh, Michael Jackson owned one of the one of the uh, arcade cabinets, and apparently was sold at an auction a couple of months before he died. Huh. Um, so then, that, that's interesting to know. And um, from what I'm uh, reading, and by the way. I did some research, and I'm not even going to pretend that uh, the extra effort I put in researching uh, wasn't at least partly because of the uh, what they were saying on, on the uh, classic arcade gaming forum. But something that I learned is that apparently the game was originally called Generation X, but it turns out that Marvel owns the copyright on that name. That's weird, because if I'm not mistaken, there was a band in the early 80s called... Generation X. It was fronted by any guess? Any guess? Uh, the Beatles. Billy Idol. Ah, uh. yes. Maybe it was just Gen X. I don't remember, but I do know Billy Idol was involved in a band that had a name like Generation X or something like that. And just to add to uh, more about Revolution X, there are two different cabinets in, the, in which this was housed. One of them was a three-player cabinet, had three guns on the on the uh, cabinet. Um, apparently that's a really rare one. I don't remember which ones I've seen out in the wild. I know they have this game at Galloping Ghost. I just unfortunately didn't. The only times I've seen this game, they have both been the three gun cabinet. Okay. Once the Louis Joliet Mall and then once at Galloping Ghost. Okay, so that's that. There's my answer. Yeah, I haven't been to Galloping Ghost since uh, last time we were there, so I didn't get to play the actual arcade game. I had to play it in MAME. And uh, the other version of the cabinet is actually a conversion uh, for Terminator 2. Which makes sense. It, it makes perfect sense, because as far as I'm concerned, this is Terminator 2 with a new skin. It's the same freaking game. And while I'm thinking about it, I remember when we were talking about T2, you talked about how in the service mode, you found that there's a setting for something about uh, minimum playtime or something. Minimum guaranteed playtime, Minimum time, guaranteed yes. playtime. Uh, do you know if that exists for Evolution X, too? You know what? I don't recall seeing it in there. Um... It's been a while since I looked. Oh, you for know it. what? Actually, I think it does because when I was, I, I looked up on Twin Galaxies. Yeah, in fact, both Twin Galaxies and Arcade mentioned dip switch settings. Uh, what they use to adjudicate scores is the dip switch set to um, seventy-five seconds. So I'm guessing that's oh. what that corresponds to. It must have it then. So yeah, and also this now this is a fun thing. While I'm talking about it, according to Arcade.com, the top score on Revolution X is 2,319,000 done by Matt Rocco at Galloping Ghost on December 16th, 2012. And here's what I absolutely love. Twin Galaxies, the record score according to Twin Galaxies, is by Aaron Van Buren 
with a score of 19,797,890 done on April 20th, 1997. Now, here's the kicker. I know that Twin Galaxies explicitly says that it's the default dip switch settings, and I think Arcade is the same thing. But on Twin Galaxies, it explicitly says in their rules, continues are not permitted. <laughs> think about that for a minute. This dude, there is a referee who will attest that Aaron Van Buren scored almost 20 million points on no continues. I do not know how that is even possible with this game. I don't. I mean, I'm sure there's a there's a video of a playthrough, at least one playthrough on uh, YouTube that can show you how far you can get in just without one without continuing. Right. I'm sure. But when I was playing but, this in Mame, you know, I I actually gave up because I got so effing tired of this game. Um, the scene where you're trying to shoot down a helicopter. I think I wore out the five key on my keyboard from hitting continue so much for, for crediting a coin and, you know. Yeah, as I said, they, they made the, I think they made this game needlessly too hard. I just, I, it's this game, I'm willing to cut Terminator 2 some slack as uh, we did that episode. And yeah, I will admit that that was, that was definitely a quarter sucker, but I don't necessarily think it was necessarily designed that way. Uh, at the very least, with the Terminator 2 Judgment Day game, the action did not feel out of place for the license. This game is just, in my opinion, designed totally from the ground up to suck quarters and no other, no other reason. Oh, I'm sure of it. And, the, and what gets me is that it was a massive success. It was, and it had uh, a couple of uh, home console uh, ports, the uh, Super Nintendo and the uh, Sega Genesis, neither version of which used the gun, but if you really think about it, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, uh, when it was ported, didn't use a gun either, and that's because both games, those aren't, you're actually not using the guns. The guns are no, nothing more than, an, than a joystick on the arcade right. console. So it right. doesn't make sense to use the gun. Although, now that I think about it, I think... Terminator 2 actually did use the gun. Uh, I have to go back oh, well. and check. Uh, my memory <laughs> my memory sucks. All right, what were you going to go back? I'm going to write this down. I'm going to hold you up to this. Okay. You're going to go back and check if, was it the sneeze version? Uh-huh. A sneeze version of, was it Terminator 2? Uh-huh. Uses the gun. Okay. All right. One of the uh, things that makes Pie Factory podcast uh, what we think sets sets us apart from other podcasts. Not necessarily saying it's it's making us any better or anything. Just like something unique we like to do is talk about our memories of playing these games or, or experiencing these games. Um, did you ever actually play the arcade version? Yes, I, I mean did. the an actual cabinet. And tell me about that time. I uh, played it at the Louis Joliet Mall in Joliet, Illinois. Uh, of course. Of course, at the Aladdin's Castle. And I don't remember much about the first time playing it. So that that should tell you everything you need to know about how much of a classic I think this game is. Well, there you go. I never actually played the arcade cabinet, but I definitely have vivid memories of it. Uh, where I went to college, uh, I worked on the, on the football team, and usually after my last class uh, during the fall semester, I had about an hour to kill between my last class and when I had to go to football practice. And so my friend Tom and I, who, was, who also worked on the team as well, we would kill off that hour by going over to uh, the game room in one of the residence halls. 
and uh, they had a pool table, a ping pong table. They had a police force pinball machine, which I cannot find anywhere. I seem to remember that was a pretty popular pinball machine, but that was a good one. I played I played that a lot. But uh, we'd usually kill off kill some time by playing pool, shooting pool for a little bit. And there was a Revolution X machine inside that game room. That was the only video game they had. And like every so often you would hear Steven Tyler's voice go Revolution X. And it was grating. It was driving us insane. It was like water torture. So that's one reason I refused to play it. As much as I really, really enjoy Aerosmith, I w- wasn't going to play that because that was driving me nuts. And also, <laughs> what is one thing that would turn me that, that would that would always turn me off about coin-operated video games? If it costs more than a quarter, this most definitely cost more than a quarter. It was fifty cents for a credit, and had I actually invested fifty cents in that, I would have been so pissed off, so pissed. You know, some games of this type, I've actually invested ten bucks into them just to play them to get to the end, which. Yeah, you know, I didn't mind it with Terminator 2 because I thought it was a fun game. This one... uh, Oh, one thing I forgot to mention, if you can find all five of Aerosmith's members at the very end of the game, if you make it that far, (laughs) good luck, um, you get to hear Aerosmith play a concert for you. Oh, that's right. Yes, and you also get to go into um, the green room and collect all sorts of awards worth big points. Uh... The awards are called the Mammies. Oh, jeez. So, one thing interesting. Um, I was bringing up the um, the home ports. Uh, there was, um, as I said, the, the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis. Uh, I believe there was a PC, which I didn't mention, and the um, there was a unreleased version for the 32X, which was an attachment to the Sega Genesis. There's a lot of dancing girls in this game, which you have to save, uh, you know, for bonus points. And a lot of them are facing with their butts toward you, and they're wearing thongs. In the, I don't remember, uh, I'll have to double check the Super Nintendo version, but in, I think it actually was every home version, now that I think about it, all of the dancing girls were facing toward you. So you never saw their butts. Which, I wanted to see their butts. <laughs> I, I has a sad. But, so. It gets <laughs> better. But, uh, how many butts does she have? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I found it kind of strange that if you shoot CDs, they do more damage than your gun does. Well, it's it's kind of the color, 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 counterpart to Terminator 2's rockets. To the rockets, yeah, I know, but... To me, that, that just doesn't make sense. You know, I, you know, Mythbusters is about to go into their last season. I hope that they cover that myth that you fire CDs and things, they'll do more damage than a regular, whatever kind of gun this happens to be. Well, I saw a video on YouTube one time where somebody put a, a CD in a CD-ROM device oh, yeah. and, um, and uh, it uh, just shredded to pieces after it got going so fast. So it, they can be deadly. You might poke someone's eye out. So, are you think uh, think it's about time to rate this game? Yeah, let's rate it. What, what, how many continues do you rate? Revolution X. I can't. I can't do the high the high voice that Steve Tyler does. Revolution X. Steven Tyler, pardon me for shortening his name, Aerosmith fans. Oh, by the way, Steven Tyler, uh, now a country star. Oh, he's Ben, I think. Figure that one out. Did you hear him uh, saying "Amazing Grace"? No. Uh, the videos on YouTube. He was actually pretty good at it, but. Uh, Seeing as this game is based on continues, 
I'm going to go directly inversely proportional to the number of continues I've had to put in here. So I'm going to rate this a two. Wow, you're pretty generous compared to me. I'm going to rate it a one. Because there are a lot of reasons I, I rated a one. First and foremost, because it is nothing but a quarter muncher. That's all there is to it. The only reason I'm giving it two is because I do like a, the few of the different things that they did with the Terminator 2 formula, like allowing you to select levels and, and giving you some control over where you go in said levels. But other than that, I, I, I just can't really recommend this game. Yeah, neither can I. And I'm also finding that I got carpal tunnel syndrome from fit, from hitting five and one on my keyboard. You know, insert coin start, insert coin start, insert coin start. It's like, come on, man. And also, I had to get fitted for a neck brace because of the times I was shaking my head when I was playing this to say, guys, why did you sell out like this? I mean, yeah, you're going to mm-hmm. sell out. You know, you're a big rock band, but why this way? Such a poor excuse for a game. Mm-hmm. And I think we should move on to the next game. Should we mention the, name, the names of the band members of Aerosmith? Didn't we? I don't know if we did. Lead vocal, Steven Tyler. Uh, lead guitar, Joe Perry. Rhythm guitar, Brad Whitford. Bass, Tom Hamilton. And drums, Joey Kramer. There you go. Oh, and there's a connection between this game and between the band's journey and Aerosmith. And I was going to bring it up, but I totally forgot a bit of it. Well, we still have to talk about journey. So when you think of it. Yeah, so let's talk about journey. And journey. We pretty much gave away the theme for this episode last time around. But hey, we, we never happen. said what the theme is. We never actually said this is the theme. So we're, we're good to go. On no, that. that is true. Dude, I, I think we get we win on a technicality. Sure. So uh, would you like to uh, tell the wonderful listeners about journey? Uh, journey. <laughs> It's coffee time. All right, Journey. This is a a sort of a mini-game type game in the vein of the Tron arcade game. Another game that we haven't talked about yet. I don't think we have. Where you play as the members of the band Journey. What you have to do is grab your instruments uh, in each level uh, by dodging different obstacles and then returning back to your scarab escape vehicle while shooting different things coming toward you. First of all, to talk about the members of Journey, uh, there's Steve Perry, who's the lead vocalist at this time. He isn't now. This is when the, the, the game was out. Uh, lead guitar was Neil Sean, which I believe he was a member of Santana. Uh, keyboardist was Jonathan Kane. The bass guitarist was Ross Valerie, and the drummer was Steve Smith. And, man, they've gone through more band member changes than any other band that I can think of off the top of my head, but maybe The Cure. And... There's six different mini games. You can you can select from the first five, and unlike Tron, you know which game you're going to get. Tron, when you would select your level, I mean, you had no idea which level you're going to get. But this one at least tells you what game you're going to get. Now, if you select the drums, that's Steve Smith. What you have to do is turn all the drums blue. If you select Ross Valerie, you have to jump on these platforms that kind of go up, uh, all the way up to the top of the screen to get your bass guitar. Uh, Neil Schoen, you have Sean. to Sean, you have to this game is kind of uh, Lunar Lander-ish in which you have to thrust to avoid like the sides of a cave to get your, your guitar Steve Perry, you just got these swinging gates that you have to avoid to go down to get your microphone. Jonathan Cade, you have to jump over gates on your way down to the bottom of the screen, kind of Donkey Kong-ish Oh, yes, uh, the sixth minigame, which is the one you can't select. You get this one after you've completed all the other five minigames. You're at the concert, and it plays 
the song separate ways in the background. Interesting note about the hardware is this uh, machine actually has a cassette player in it. An Emerson Slimline cassette player. Yes. And what happens is it plays the song, the actual song, not a rendering of it in 8-bit audio. Uh, what you have to do is you're their manager, Herbie Herbert, which was his real name, and uh, you have to keep the, the groupazoids or whatever they call them. I can't remember. Gosh, I can't remember a lot of things. And uh, from getting on stage and stealing the instruments. So what ha- that screen is like, there's three entrances at the bottom of the screen. Of course, I've got four fingers up because I, you know, common core and all that. Um, and you have to basically stand in front of the door as they try to get into the door and you bounce them away. And that's uh, actually kind of a fun game. That's the game in a nutshell. It uses the typical Bally Midway cabinet of the time. And, yeah, that's about it. My opinion of the game, it's it's decent. Uh, it's not a horrible game. Um, oh, yeah, and the different screens do have different Journey songs playing in the background. Now, I have a list of all the songs here, but I'm only going to go and read you the ones that I can, that I actually identified. Now, on your select screen, where you select the level that plays the song Lights, which is Honestly, probably my favorite Journey song. And it plays so fast. It's like, and the lights go down in the city. It's like, wow. Like, slow it down a little, man. <laughs> uh, the Steve Smith level is Wheel in the Sky. Wheel in the Sky keeps, keeps on, on turning. turning. I don't know where I'll be tomorrow. <clears throat> uh, I couldn't tell you the Ross Valerie or Neil Shane ones. Sean. Although I have that. Shine. Sean. Neil Sean. Neil. Hey, hey, Neil Sean. He's from... Well, I don't know where he's from. The band's from San Francisco, actually. Uh, so I couldn't tell you the song on that one. Uh, the Steve Perry one is the uh, song that a certain Chicago baseball team played when they won the World Series in 2005, and nobody cared. I think I just turned off uh, half of uh, half of one of one person of our listening audience with that one. Uh, that was Don't Stop Believing." The Jonathan Kane level is the song Stone in Love. And I recognize that one because I had the Escape album when I was a kid. I was so proud in junior high school. Look, everybody, I've got Journey's Escape album. This is a good album. Why don't you come over and listen to it? Oh, everybody has the album. Screw you. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I like the game, but there's one. There's, there's two flaws with this game. There's this on the screen where... On the Jonathan Kane screen, when you're jumping over the gates, you have a button on the control panel, which uses to fire the gun, because once you've gotten your ele- your, your instrument, you have to get back to the, the ship. And now there's a bunch of enemies firing at you or coming toward you, and you can use your guns to whatever, to, to get past them. Why couldn't they, on that screen, on the, uh, the Jonathan Kane screen, use the button to jump over the gates? You have to press up. And I never understood that choice. It's not like there hasn't been other games that have only one button that perform different functions in different levels. So I don't get the choice with that. But I think the real big flaw with this game, the biggest flaw with this game, and it really costs me a lot of lives, is it has a four-way joystick. You cannot move diagonally in this game at all. Don't know if you've noticed that, Sean. I did not notice that because... You cannot move diagonally. I was playing with a key. I've never actually played the arcade cabinet, so... Try going in two different directions. You cannot 
move diagonally. Mm. It's possible it could be the way I have MAME set up, but no matter how I've had it set up, I can't move diagonally. I'll have to try my Uber On the screens when you've got enemies coming toward you and you have to shoot them down, diagonal movement is essential. The lack of diagonal movement in this game really, really hurts this game. So what sayest thou? Well, uh, something I wanted to add, on the Steve Smith screen, you get a bonus. What happens is if you land on a drum twice during that screen, it'll disappear. Yes. Like, it'll change from orange to blue, and then if you jump on a blue one, it disappears. If you make all of the drums except the last one disappear, you get a thousand point bonus. Oh, I did not know that. And one thing I hated about that screen, first time I played this game ever, which was at the Lincoln, the Aladdin's Castle at Lincoln Mall, which way back in the early 80s, that was the arcade. It was like oh, the yeah. largest one in the Chicago area. That was my was favorite huge. place in the day. Oh, it, it, it that, was, was, that was my favorite place back then. Way back when. You notice how I haven't said back in the Ferg until just now. Yeah. Yes, I've been getting good. I've been being a nice boy. But... I remember when I played it, I kept trying to jump up because you see the drums at the top right of the screen, and I keep trying to jump up there to get them, and before I know it, all of my drums are gone and I die. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Oh, and by the way, also worth pointing out, I like how, like, uh, if you, as Steve Smith, if you jump all the way up into the corner where the drums are, you'll get a little warning on the screen that says you have to turn all the all the drums blue. I did notice that. Yeah. But... When I was playing the game, I was just so too interested in the actual game to read stuff that was popping up on the screen. On the Ross Valerie stage, something I noticed, the way that this works is you jump, they're not so much platforms as they are like, you know, I don't know, blocks. And when you were to jump onto one, it would like rise up like four or five sections, and then you would have to jump to the left or the right to get to the next one. I find that if you get his instrument, which, uh, let's see, Ross Valerie was the bass, Try to, because his instrument moves from the left to the right at the top of the screen. Try to get it as far as the left as possible. I find that if you get it there, then you have to return to your ship, which is at the bottom of the screen. After you get the instrument, the towers generate guns, then the guns are firing records at you. (laughs) If you get the base at the very top left of that particular screen, at least to the first level, there are two of those guns below you. You can just shoot those, go all the way down, get to your vehicle, and you will not get touched by any of the, the bullets or records that the other guns are shooting at you. Don't know if it works on other levels, but it definitely works on that level, and I've done it four or five times successfully. So there's some strategy there for you. Something that I've observed is um, the Jonathan Kane level, something that uh, I observed... Like if you do, if you go on the interwebs and you look up the Journey game, it compares that screen to Donkey Kong. I actually think it's a little bit more like Kangaroo, because if you don't time your jumps just right, you're dead. Donkey Kong gives you a little bit of leeway. Well, but- I find that timing your jumps on that screen is easier than Kangaroo. I do think that the as I mentioned, I mentioned the fact that you have to push up on the joystick, which is what you do in the game Kangaroo as well. And I just thought that was a total WTF design choice. In this and the Kangaroo, game you use the joystick to jump, just like on Journey. Right. And the button in Kangaroo makes you punch, whereas in this one, 
it doesn't do anything while you're jumping. So they could repurpose that button for, sure. for something else instead of making you push up, which I think putting it on the jump button would have been a, a good choice, a more logical choice. Not necessarily a better choice, but it se- would seem to make more sense to me. Yeah. And to me, the uh, Neil Sean screen is like, was it, was it Caverns of Mars? Caverns of Mars, uh, that's the Atari 8-bit game which uh, you're scrolling down to get to the middle of the planet. It's more like a vertical yeah. scrolling version of uh, of Scramble. Exactly. This, I think it's closer to Lunar Lander. Uh, the only difference... The only difference is it's actually, you're actually able to complete the level in this. In Lunar Lander, you true. can't. There, I am convinced it is impossible to actually land in Lunar Lander. I've done it once. No, you haven't. You're lying. Nobody has. I think I've done it once, actually. One time. Now ask me how many times I've played it. How many times you played it? I don't know. I don't remember. (laughs) Some stuff that I had to add. Now, I actually did some real research on this. (laughs) Yay. Let's hear about it. But um, the game itself, the Journey game, was developed by Marvin Glass and Associates. uh, Marvin Glass ran a company that would make toys. It was a toy company located in River North in Chicago. We're actually not far from where I work. And Marvin Glass and Associates, they were a massively successful toy designer. You have probably heard of their stuff. They did Rock'em Sock'em Robots, Ants in the Pants. Ants in the Pants? Ants in the Pants? Ants in the Pants? Mystery Date, Operation. Uh, Remember the Evil Knievel stunt cycle, that orange and white thing? They did that. I'm trying to remember if I had that. My brother had that. It was so cool because my brother was into Evil Knievel in the 70s. Who wasn't? And sometime in the 80s, I got something that was just like that, except it wasn't Evil Knievel, but it was still pretty cool. And by by a coincidence, one of the one of the games that um, Marvin Glass and Associates made was called Jungle Hunt. That, I, thought, I found that to be an interesting coincidence. But um, sometime around 1982, 1983, give or take, the folks over at Marvin Glass and Associates decided, hey, and by the way, Marvin Glass had been dead for several years at this point, but uh, the company still exists, and they decided, hey, you know what, let's try our hand at video games. And so they designed on Bally Midway's MCR2 hardware uh, several games. They did Cosmic Cruiser. They did Tapper and, of course, by default, Root Beer Tapper. Uh, They did Timber, Domino Man, Wacko, and, of course, Journey. There were other games done on that hardware, but I don't think that Marvin Glass did it. There was Satan's Hollow, Two Tigers, and Tron, believe it or not. Oh, Two Tigers. That was a fun game we need to talk about. And uh, interestingly, Discs of Tron was not done on the MCR2 hardware. It was done on MCR3. So, uh, And uh, the game itself was designed by R. Scott Morrison. He uh, did the art. Uh, Richard A. Ditton, who did the programming, along with whom I'm assuming is his wife, Elaine A. Ditton, who also did the programming and the sounds. Now, what I could not find, and this is true for both Revolution X and Journey, was information on what prompted them to do video games based on these bands. I've been curious about that. But I do know that the Journey game was done under the supervision of Jim Welch, who was Journey's creative director. And the name Nightmare Incorporated was used, and uh, I haven't been able to find any information on that. It might have been Journey's corporate name. 
A lot of bands have like their own corporations, like the Beatles have Apple, the Beach Boys have Brother International. That that so Nightmare Incorporated might be you know Journey's equivalent. Mm-hmm. I don't know what prompted them to choose to do a Journey game, and I don't know what prompted the the idea to do an Aerosmith game. So I, I would love to know the stories behind that. If anybody knows, in fact, those of you who are Facebook friends with me, you may have seen. That, that I posted. Anybody out there who's a big Aerosmith fan, let me know. I'd like to ask you a question or two. That's that's exactly why. One thing about this game, this uh, let's talk about home ports. There were no home ports of this game. However, there was another game based on the band Journey for the Atari 2600. And with that one, you basically had to get past the uh, uh, obstacles on your way from a concert to your escape scarab uh, vehicle, which kind of similar concept but you know the play is totally different however it's uh one of the very few games by data age on the atari 2600 that i think is very fun uh i've always liked the game i always give it a couple of whirls i haven't played it yet i haven't played it's a fun game i I enjoyed it it's uh not terribly hard but it's fun it's uh against it's one of those against the timer thing and um it's got a couple of uh 2600 eyes uh versions of journey songs on there so you might want to give her a a whirl. It's a fun, fun game. And that game on the 2600 is actually called Journey Escape. That is true. This one's based on the band. Yeah. I have heard people refer to the Journey arcade game as Journey Escape, even well, though wrong. the album cover is from the al- the next album, Frontiers. Frontiers. Exactly. Which it actually has a, a kind of a cool uh, uh, representation of the album cover. That is a nice representation of it, yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, pretty much all I need to say about uh, Journey. Well, do you have anything to that you would like to add? Um, my memories of the Journey game, I never actually played this in the arcade to this day. I mean, yeah, I went to, to um, Aladdin's Castle Lincoln Mall. But, of course, as we all know, my allowance was four tokens. That's all my dad would let me have. <laughs> and so I would... I would have to be very selective about those four tokens and I never selected journey. I never selected journey. And to this day, I have not seen it in an arcade. I absolutely remember seeing it on Starcade, uh, that the old video game game show. And I've played it many times in MAME. And I always thought it was kind of, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I think this is a fun game to play. It really is. It, ha- it definitely has a strong Tron vibe because you play it. It's like, man, this, this makes me feel like I'm playing Tron. Uh, as we mentioned about Revolution X being a spiritual successor to Terminator 2, I think this is a spiritual successor to Tron. Easily, but and I always thought it was interesting. What really stuck out to me was this is the first game I remember seeing that had digitization in it. It's like, wow. Can- we didn't bring that up. Um, the, uh, the, the band members' faces are digitized. Uh, they have little cartoon bodies, but they Steve Perry looks like Steve Perry. Neil Shaw. Whoever he is. Neil Sean. Looks like Neil. Uh, Ross Valerie. For some reason, looks like Steve Smith, and Steve Smith looks like Ross Valerie. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, they, they look like the band members from the lineup at that particular time, uh, which I thought was quite neat. Yeah, and uh, that was courtesy of a digital camera that was developed by Ralph Baer who is known as the father of video games. And oh, what I, I find curious, curious is that 
they're black and white pictures. Now I understand digital technology isn't what it, or wasn't what it is today. So they might have only been capable of limited colors, but I'm surprised they didn't try to colorize it a little bit. So it's like they have color bodies, but gray heads. And what I really love about it is that they have different expressions on their faces. Like when they when they die, they have this little this silly scowl on their faces. It's really, yeah, I, I really that's a funny effect because yeah. the body kind of it looks like a little baby trying to having a fit, you know, because it lost its binky or something. Yeah, it's it's really good. I thought that was really cute. And I thought one of the cool things about this game was that you actually got to hear real honest to God journey music. Yeah. And I only just now realized like when we were prepping for this episode that it was a, a tape recording. It wasn't even digital. It was an audio tape. It was so an I actual audio was tape. Interesting. Which, which makes audio me tapes think. were not unheard of in arcade games at the time, but those were more to um, make it easier to swap out. Uh, different arcade titles. Oh, yeah. We mentioned about the uh, Data East uh, Deco system when we talked about Burger yeah. Time, and uh, those games were on audio tape. But it was more like loading a game on your computer. It wasn't actually used for audio effects or anything. Yeah, and that's kind of making me think that that might explain why I never see this game anywhere. It could be, hey, that's that's something with a moving part. Moving parts die pretty easily. They wear out. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the digital camera. The original prototype for this, from what I understand, is that you would actually be playing as the band member. The camera would take a picture of you and stick your head on the band member's uh, bodies. No kidding. Yeah. They did away with that idea when they realized that in testing, people were taking pictures of something other than their faces to be attached to their... So they're like, yeah, we better not. pictures of their but <laughs> that was an interesting little fact to learn. So um, in terms of high scores, according to Orcade.com, Zachary Lubo scored. Never heard of him. Two million five hundred seventy eight thousand two hundred and fifty. I'm just poking the bear now. I'm just poking the bear. But he scored two million five hundred seventy eight thousand two hundred and fifty at Richie Knuckles Arcade. Have you ever heard of Richie Knuckles? I've uh, that name does not ring the slightest bell to me. I've never heard of this guy. Uh, I've heard of David uh, David Toenails, but not Richie Knuckles. Uh, but apparently this was this was achieved during the first ever Richie Knuckles Arcade Marathon on December eleventh, two thousand ten. According to Twin Galaxies, whose history goes way back, Joe Morizzi scored 10,125,000 in this game on July 3rd, 1983. Cool. Should we rate this game, perhaps? Yeah, I think we should. Why don't you go first? I'm curious to hear yours sure. first. Well, you know what? Something I have to say is that there's a recent thread on Atari Age in the arcade gaming forum uh, about what you feel are the worst arcade games out there. And I was surprised to see Journey coming up more than once. Hmm. And this came up during our prep for this show, and I was playing this a lot in MAME. And I've played this in MAME many times, not just for prep for this show, but I've played it over the years in MAME because I never got to play it in the arcade. In fact, that's a cool thing about MAME is that, you know, stuff that you never got to play, you have a chance to play. And... Every time I played this, you know, I'm thinking this is actually a pretty fun game. Um, it's very creative, you know. It's, it, it has those fancy quirks, those little novelties. This came out probably around the same time as Dragon's Lair, when there was a lot of novelty going on in, in video games. But I thought it worked really well. I thought the gameplay was solid. It was pretty decent. Mm-hmm. I will admit that I get frustrated a lot when I can't complete a screen. 
Because, man, if you lose a life early, it's going to be very hard to finish all five mini games before you get to the true. concert part. Very true. I would have to rate this three continues, three continues. You know, it's a solid game. It, it does a good job. It's, not, it's just not something I'm going to sit and play for hours. Yeah, I, I, I think with me, uh, a couple of... Re- I'm going to rate it a three. And the reason I'm going with a three, some of the... I mean, it's, it's the game that it seems it's 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 not a the game is fun, but it seems uninspired to me uh, because of the the obstacles. You think they maybe do something clever like um, you know the song lights? Oh, maybe they could play the song lights in the background where you're having you know a, a mini game to, uh, that deals with lights. Wheel in the sky. Uh, maybe you could do something with wheels or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, instead, you're just jumping over multicolored gates which are just kind of lame they just they they just look like rectangles they don't even look like gates they're just rectangles with a circle on them you make some excellent points there jimmy g yes well thank you i have my moments uh but the thing that really kills this game for me and why i can't rate it any higher than three is the lack of diagonal control when you're trying Mm. on a couple of screens when you're trying to get back to your ship and you're shooting at things coming toward you you cannot move diagonally and with the amount of things that come back toward you Diagonal movement is really, really a must. Now, as I said, I've it's been a long time since I've played this in the arcade, and I've only noticed this within the last year or so of playing this in MAME, that you can't move diagonally. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's the way I'm set up. It's a very well, big possibility, but with the way I've got it now, and having tried it in different MAME setups with having the same issue, I'm going to assume that's the way it was in the arcade, so I just cannot rate it higher than a three. Obviously, our theme is what? Well, you know what? It's interesting you mentioned this, because we were originally going for games that were based on bands. However, in looking at things, there's another connection between oh, these two. do tell. Okay, who's the lead singer of Aerosmith? Uh, I know what you're getting at, and I was thinking the same thing. Steven Tyler. What TV show was he on? Uh, I, he was on SNL for sure for a couple of episodes um he was a judge on this show he was a judge on american idol who else was a judge on american idol um paula abdul no next randy jackson randy jackson what band did randy jackson play bass for for uh the year 1986 i have no idea journey you're kidding me no i'm looking at oh i'm using wikipedia i'm no. looking at wikipedia on journey band members and it says here according to the um the one thing i love about wikipedia when you're talking about bands they list all of the uh, the band members but then they got like a chart divided into years they got like kind of a bar graph and randy jackson played bass for journey between 1985 and 1987 so these both these bands have some connection to Randy that's Jackson. That's And that's our theme. <laughs> but yeah, I love those Wikipedia like band member charts because especially the one for Chicago because it looks like a, a Tokyo subway map or something. <laughs> well, there's an interesting new pattern we could use to tile our bathroom with. <laughs> but yeah, and it's and what I find interesting is that there aren't m- many more video games that are based that that have that are associated with. Uh, with rock bands, other than, say, Guitar Hero and Rock Band, I do believe Aerosmith Kiss. was in another one. Kiss? Yes, they had, they, had, uh, they had a PC game, uh, Psycho Circus. That's right, they did. 
Yeah, so that's the only other band I can think of. Um, if anybody's listening to this show, please let us know. Uh, inform us. Educate us. Let us learn. The only other ones I can think of is Blues Brothers. There were a couple of different... They had a couple of yeah, different Yeah, they had a games. couple of pretty bad platformers on the Super Nintendo, and I believe on the NES as well. Amiga had one too, but I think it was a different game. And there was a prototype Yellow Submarine game for Atari 5200. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think it got any further than just the actual submarine itself. You can control it with a joystick, and that's it. No, that's cool. But uh, it, but yeah, I guess it's it's just interesting that m- they haven't made that kind of connection, like rock music and video games. You know. Well, I mean, there have been other computer and video games that have had major bands with soundtracks. I mean, you brought up obviously oh, the sure. rock band and Guitar Hero. Well, that's a, a game that I recently got. Yeah, I'm way behind the times, is uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, and uh, takes place in the 80s, kind of a Miami Vice kind of theme, and that's that game's got a really good soundtrack if you're into the 80s, into 80s rock and pop. Um, so, I mean, you got a lot of games like that, but nothing that are actually based, not very much that's actually based around the band or uh, any other associated ones. Oh, there's, a, there's somebody who should have a video game, The Band. The Band, and the name of their game is The Game. Yep. Uh, what other bands would you, could you really make a video game based around? Yeah, that's... Um, oh, you know what? The Beavis and Butthead game for the Sega Genesis was based around them trying to get uh, tickets to see Guar in concert. In fact, Guar does the soundtrack for it. Oh, that's pretty cool. Let me think, but... Um, I'm just trying to think what other bands out there that could you do something like that, that actually have a backstory that you could create a game around. Uh, Guar, for one, you could do. Um, I think you could do an insane clown posse game, but just the thought of drinking Fago kind of turns me off. See, I actually know stuff about things. You could probably do a Beatles-based game uh, based on maybe Yellow Submarine or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Listeners, those of you who know how to program games, that's your challenge. Come up with a rock band video game, and uh, we get uh, we get ten percent of the uh, of the profits from that. You better believe it. So, uh, Jim, what should we talk about for our next episode? So, I'm glad you asked, Sean. What should we talk about next? Hmm. Well, why don't we talk about let's say Crazy Climber and Fix It Felix Junior. Perhaps Crazy Climber Fix It. Yeah, yeah. I can't say that. Crazy Climber Fix It Felix Junior. Perhaps. Sounds like a plan. And by the way, everybody, yes, we do have the games planned out for the rest of 2015, but if there's something you'd like to you'd like us to talk about, by all means, you know, let us know. Like what games are you interested in hearing us research Wikipedia about? Or the main uh, history debt file. Yes. Or stealing stuff from uh, past episodes in No Quarter. Anyway, um, I guess that's all we have to say for now. Um, so I'm Plain old boring Sean or Pob Sean, I guess. And I am Jimmy G. Toodles. Bye, everybody. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Jim and Sean can be contacted on Facebook via the Pie Factory podcast page, over email at piefactory at fab4it.com or over Twitter at PieFactoryPFP. Visit the Pie Factory podcast on the web via PieFactoryPodcast.com.
Ah, first mistake. See what I did there. Ah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, speaking of speaking of mistakes, what I love about the Amigos podcast is in the middle of their episode, they they have a, a little uh, sweeper or something with their uh, w- that says how you can get in touch with them, and they say, "Did John and Aaron finally make their first mistake?" <laughs> One site that I was looking at says, and I quote, several subtle in-jokes appear in the game that me- that lead many to believe that the programmers were massive fans of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Let me, I'll put it to you this way. Saying that a programmer of any type is a massive fan of Monty Python and the Holy Grail is like saying Jim Morrison was heterosexual. And I wrote notes down. Me too. Put them on the back of bills. Actually, this one's junk mail. So... I would put them on the back of bills, but if I put them on the back of bills, I would have notes that are like eight feet high. Yeah, well, I generally just throw my bills away. That explains a lot. Coming up later, Deep Purple, Everclear, Soul Asylum, and tons of other great rock. That's what we are, a cool rock on the cap. How about Billy Squire? Yeah. How about him? The Stroke. On the cat, one of...